0: Buenos dias. My name is Gianluca Cueva, and I am one of the pastoral apprentices here at Edmonston Bible Fellowship. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to acknowledge our amazing band. They come in here week in and week out, and they work so hard for us. So can we please clap them up to say thank you? So this morning, we are... Back in the book of Colossians. I know maybe you thought we were done with Colossians, but as the saying goes, just when you thought you were out, we're pulling you right back in. A couple weeks ago, I was actually scheduled to preach this passage, but due to an emergency, I had to fly out of town. But we're back in Colossians, and we'll actually be speaking about how the gospel impacts our vocations. What does the gospel have to do with our work and our vocation? But before we jump into our text, you'll notice that this passage, Colossians three twenty-two to 4 1, is actually speaking of the relationships between masters and bondservants, sometimes translated as slaves. Now the focus of our sermon today will not be a lecture on slavery in the Bible, although this is a topic worth spending time in and knowing a little bit about. But given that it comes up, I would like to spend this morning just a little bit on, um, on this topic. But ultimately, we want to spend our time in the commands that Paul has for us. We want to ultimately talk about what this passage is talking about, to hear the word of God and obey it. So before we jump into our text, let me just make a brief few comments. First, the form of slavery that we see here in the United States is not exactly the same as the one we see in the Roman and Hellenistic culture, let alone the scriptures. As North Americans, when we think of the word slave, we tend to think in turn of images of the transatlantic slave trade, or perhaps slaves working on plantations. This form of slavery was also known as racialized chattel slavery. And it was sinful, evil, and demonic. Scripture is clear, Genesis 1 and 2, that every man and woman is created in the image of God and not property. This destroys any idea that any human being is less than another simply because of the color of their skin, let alone any physical feature. 1 Timothy 1.10, Paul is speaking out a list of egregious sins, and in it he includes man-stealing which would lead us to ask that the Bible says that slave trading is not okay, but somehow slaveholding would be okay? See, Colossians 3 is speaking of masters and bondservants, but the relationship that we see here in the text is actually quite different. One of the forms of the relationship that could be is more akin actually to indentured servitude, a type of employee and boss relationship. One party would contract themselves for a specific period of time in order to receive benefits from the other party. The bond servant would be able to own their own property. They would purchase their own freedom. And they could even move socially. Another form is known as the borrower or the lender. People could give themselves over and work for someone in order to pay off a debt that they owed them. See, during that time, there was no bankruptcy court, and so this would be one of the ways that they handled it. So when Paul or the Bible begins to speak of masters and slaves we cannot immediately jump to what we think of here in the United States. As a matter of fact, what our passage is doing this morning is turning the whole institution or any form of institution completely on its head. See, uh, the passage that we're talking today about is found in Colossians 3, part of the the household codes. Uh, Jason talked about the relationships between a husband and a wife, between parents and children. And in that, we're going to find as well the, the relationship between bond servants and slaves or and, uh, and their masters. But this, these household codes were very common during the Roman culture. And what Paul is doing here is turning it completely on its head. He is saying that there's no one man that is the ultimate lord of every household. No, The Lord, the ultimate Lord of every household, is the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this places all members of the household on equal footing, so to speak. You'll see up Colossians 3.11. If we look at this text in the context, it reads, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. This verse does not rid us of any of our differences, but rids any and all reason to be prejudiced because of those differences. That's an important distinction to notice there. And by doing so, the Bible is doing what, what, as one scholar said, it's not just simply cutting the branches of any institution of slavery, but it is chopping it at the very root Paul is removing the foundation for any institution and with given time, eventually the whole thing will come and crumble. So this has been a very brief overview and we've just specifically looked at Colossians 3. So there's a lot more that can be said about this passage or others that can be explored such as the book of Philemon. However, due to some of our time constraints, we have to keep moving. But maybe... This has arisen some questions or comments in you. So um, if you do have any questions or comments, you can email me at jason at (laughs) ebfchurch.org. So as I said earlier, we'll be asking, what does the gospel have to do with our work and jobs? And the reason we are focusing on the intersect of faith and vocation is because this is the most faithful application of this specific text to our current context today. So before we turn to our text, let us now turn to prayer and ask for God's blessing on our time together. Father and nuestro Father, Father, God, you are good. And you are Lord. And all we do and all we don't do, you are still Lord. Help us this day as your word goes forth. Let it not return void. Holy Spirit, do the work that you are promised us to do. Hide me behind your word. Let not people this morning hear my words, but let people, your church, this morning hear your words. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Colossians three twenty-two to four-one. So if you could please turn to Your Bible and stand for the reading of the Word of God. It reads Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord EBF, who is the Lord of your work? When you go into work tomorrow morning, who are you ultimately working for? Who is the Lord of your work? See, so much of our lives is actually consumed by our work, about 40 to 50 hours a week. We can either be waking up to get to work, we can be getting ready in the morning to go to work, commuting to work, at work, working, commuting back from work, trying to de-stress from work, resting from work, going to sleep so you can then wake up and do it all over again. And when the weekend comes, maybe you find yourself spending time trying not to actually be thinking about work. Therefore, it would reason that much of our Christian lives and much of our Christian discipleship is impacted and consumed by our vocation and our work. However, How much of our Sunday morning worship connects with our Monday work? How much of what we learn and experience here on a Sunday morning ever inch its way into your vocations on Monday? Or when we go into work, do we all of a sudden become biblical amnesiacs? See, from Adam and Eve until today, God has not been only calling people to himself But God has been calling people to a specific work, to a specific vocation. God created work before the fall, and so it is ultimately a good thing. It's part of our cultural mandate. But perhaps some of you today, maybe you're feeling those thorns and thistles of work. Maybe you're feeling more of the curses of work. Maybe you're in that hopeless feeling of transition, looking for a job and I'm sorry that is hard that's, that's not easy but I hope this can be an encouragement to you this morning that the God that not only created you to be in relationship with him is the same one who has effectively called you to himself and will make sure that he has created you he, he will make sure to fulfill what he has created you to do here on this earth so whether you are a high school student or a college student who doesn't get paid, whether you're a professional in the city or a stay-at-home parent or someone who's retired or you're an artist or you're a handyman, we are all called to some form of work. And that's why this sermon is for all of us. So let's now turn to our text. Look with me at Colossians 3.22. It reads, Bondservants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Remember that Paul is reminding the Colossians that Christ and Christ alone is supreme, is sufficient for all of our lives and for our salvation. So if you are a note taker, our first point and command for today is obey with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. See, we are to obey in all our work the authority figures that God has placed over our lives and not just when we would like to. So that means that whether your boss is present or not or whether there's a review coming up or a visit for corporate or whether the professor checks attendance or not, we are to do all our work truthfully and wholeheartedly obeying in all the work that we have been given. But maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, John Luca, well, if you only knew who my boss was. Or if you only knew the professor that I had. Well, here's some encouraging news for us this morning. With each command that Paul will give us, he will also give us a reason and a way to be able to obey it. So let's read verse 22 again. It says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing your bosses, fearing your professors, fearing inserts, whatever authority figure. No, it's just fearing the Lord. Some New Testament and Old Testament scholars agree that when the phrase fear of the Lord is applied to the people of God, specifically it is speaking of this fearful, reverent worship of the Lord, but also of a fearful allegiance to the Lord. Our God is fearful and mighty, worthy of all our reverence. But this does not mean that we should fear our God with a sort of trembling that has insecurity in it. Our God is mighty, but he is also our Father. We are not to fear our Father with any insecurity Our Father may correct us because he loves us, but there is no insecurity in that. We owe God all our worship and all of our allegiance. That's why we don't obey our bosses because of who they are, but we ultimately obey our bosses because of our fearful allegiance to God. And because we fear our Lord, this is not an excuse to submit to our bosses in things such as fraudulent work, or stay silent about sexual harassment, or any unethical work that we may have to navigate through. At the end of the day, we ultimately obey the Lord, not any lowercase l lords over our lives. So when you go to work tomorrow, ask yourselves, why do you obey your bosses? Why do you obey those who are in authority over you? Is it out of fear of them? or is it out of a fearful allegiance to God see we must bring this fearful allegiance to our work it is crucial we cannot practice christian discipleship without having a fearful allegiance to our god at work paul however is not just demanding our fear of the lord at work but look with me at verses 23 and 24 it reads Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Again, if you're a note-taker, first, we are to obey with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And second, work heartily, for you will receive a reward. Paul is making it now explicit that whatever we do, we work as for God and not for men. That means that whether you're a student, an engineer, a teacher, a stay-at-home parent, a plumber, a lawyer, you do all your work for God and not for man. This means that there's no such thing as I work for myself. This means that there's no such thing as I'm my own boss. This also means that it doesn't matter how many degrees we have. I know here in Evanston we're... In Northwestern, we're really smart people. But it doesn't mean that because we have so many degrees or master's degrees or PhD degrees that our work somehow is better than the work of others. We all work for the Lord, no matter how many degrees we may have. And all our work is worthy and has significance and value when done unto the Lord. So if you actually look back in chapter 3, this verse is pointing us directly to verse 17. It says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is taking us even deeper. We have to not only obey the commands that we are giving, but we are to work with all our might. The word here is something as like your innermost being. If you want to learn Spanish today, today's your lucky day. There's this phrase, it goes like this. Con toda mi alma. It means something like, with all my soul and with all my being, with all of who I am. And if you come over our home, you'll actually see this hung up in our house. And the translation in English would be something like, with all my heart, but I want to use this phrase. Con toda mi alma. Because that's more of what Paul is actually saying here. He's saying that he wants you to work heartily with all of who you are. With that vital breath that gives you life. Work that hard. But the truth is that's easier said than done. Because work is tiring and life is tiring. The stresses of life and brokenness and injustices of this world weigh us down. And sometimes we just wake up exhausted, crawling out of bed. The truth is, maybe we're too weak. We're too exhausted to work the way we're supposed to work. And the truth is, I'm too weak. I'm too exhausted. I could not have prepared and worked on this sermon the way I was supposed to on my own. We sometimes feel thin and stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. And it is at those moments that we remember who we work for. We work for Christ and not man. Christ is supreme, and because he is supreme, he is sufficient to provide you for all of your needs. It is in Christ that in our weaknesses, Christ's perfect strength is manifested. Paul is commanding us to work heartily for the Lord, and he gives us a reason and a hope to do so. Look at verse 24 again. It says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. We work with all our might, knowing that we will receive as a reward an inheritance. And this is actually pointing us back again to Colossians 1. So read with me, verses 12 and 13. It says, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. See, Paul is reminding us that we will inherit the kingdom of God. But how can our minds grasp the fact that we will inherit a kingdom? When we think of inheritance, we normally think of maybe family possessions or trinkets or jewels or maybe at most some a house or home or a piece of land, but What does it mean to inherit a kingdom? As a lot of you know, um, I'm from Florida, and it wouldn't be like me to preach a sermon without trying to sneak something about Florida in there, so this is my chance. When I was a child, I dreamt of going to this magical place called Disney World. And as a child, the only kingdom that I really cared about was Magic Kingdom. See, I longed and desired to go to this wondrous place with giant turkey legs, unlimited amounts of candy and funnel cake, and all the wonders and imaginations of a child coming to life. I was hoping for that, and trust me, hoping to go to Disney World, to Magic Kingdom, it got me through some pretty hard school days as a little kid. I'm joking. So this may just be the the dreams and the imagination of a child living in Florida, but the truth is and the reality is that we, we all long for something. We all long for something that we can't find in this world. Scripture says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. E.B.F., we work as those with hope. Hope for the inheritance of God that one day we will walk the streets of God's perfect and just kingdom. And until then, we will live in the now, working with all of our might, praying your kingdom come and working in light of that. So EBF, why do you work so hard? Do you work so hard for safety? For comfort, for an early retirement? Do not trade your inheritance for the lentil stew of man's praise. You will inherit the kingdom of God. Let's keep going. We are not only called to first obey with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, and to work heartily, for you will receive a reward. But look at verses 24 and 25 with me. It reads, You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. So our third point today is serve the Lord humbly. For he is just. Paul has given us a strict warning. That if you do wrong It doesn't matter who you are. God is impartial. You will be punished for it. You will be paid back for the wrong that you do. So do not cheat on your exam or your homework assignment. Don't manipulate the numbers or calculations at work in order to yield the results that you would maybe want. Don't use company money or time for your own personal benefit. But perhaps for most of us, this seems obvious, and you're like, John Luca, I got it. Don't worry. I don't do any of those things. Okay. Can I ask you this morning, do you grumble? Do you grumble about your work or at work? Do you complain about the work that you have? Or do you get envious of others' positions? Or maybe their grades? And the truth is that we see this kind of attitude all throughout Scripture, from the Israelites to the apostles and disciples. And when thinking about this verse specifically of serving the Lord, one story comes to mind, a story that has made you familiar to a lot of you. It's the story of the prodigal son. And this is the scene. A father has two sons. And the younger son comes up to him and says, Give me my inheritance, pretty much at that time saying, You're dead to me. The father gives him his inheritance. He goes off and squanders it, finding himself with nothing at the very lowest. And he thinks, man, the servants in my father's household, they're treated better than I am. And so he has this elaborate plan that he'll come back to his father and he'll beg his father for forgiveness. And he's on his way, but his father is looking out for him. So he sees him from afar, picks up his cloak, and goes running to him. He can't even get out his apology because his father is showering him with love, grace, and forgiveness and throws this huge party for him. And so in the midst of partying and celebrating, the father realizes, where is my other son? Where is the older brother? So he goes off to find the older brother and says, come, join us. And the older brother says this. This is his reply. But he said, the older brother, he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. The context of the story is Jesus telling it to to a group of people. On one side you had the, the sinners of the day, the tax collectors. On the other side you had the Pharisees, the religious rulers. The younger brothers were meant to represent the sinners and tax collectors and the older brothers was meant to represent the religious leaders the pharisees and their hearts were hardened from god and far from god that's the older brother but notice that the spiritual state of the other brother older brother it doesn't happen in a vacuum the heart of the older brother is actually revealed in the attitude that he has towards his work See, Jesus could have set the story up so that the older brother was worshiping at the temple or bringing offering or sacrifice or sharing the gospel with his Gentile friends, but he doesn't do that. Jesus sets the context in light of the older brother's vocation, in light of the older brother's work and service to the father. See, the older brother forgot that his father was just that there is no partiality in him, that the wrongdoer will be paid back, but the repentant will be shown mercy. So, EBF, do not think the Lord unfair when someone else gets the promotion or the raise over you. Do not envy the person who gets the same amount of pay with the least amount of work. Our God will repay There is no partiality with him. You are serving the Lord. But the truth is that sometimes it doesn't really feel like we're serving the Lord. Maybe that's why so many of us want to go into vocational ministry. Because that way it feels like we're serving the Lord. Because how does the guy at IT or the person who's running cases or how does taking tests, how does all of that seem like service unto the Lord? Sometimes it just feels like another Tuesday. The truth is, though, that whether you feel like you are serving the Lord or you don't, as a believer in Christ, the undeniable reality that you find yourselves in is serving the Lord. And this may take time to remind yourself that working on papers or sitting at your desk, crunching numbers, is service to the Lord but look at what the Word of God says. Take hope. You are serving the Lord. So far, Paul then has given us three commands. First, obey with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Second, work heartily, for you will receive a reward. And third, serve the Lord, for he is just. Paul now moves on to his fourth and final command. Look with me at Colossians 4.1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And here I actually prefer the reading of the NIV. It says, masters, provide for your bondservants. So our fourth and final point today is, provide justly and fairly, for Christ is your Lord. See, most of today's sermon maybe could have just been applied to the employee, although a lot of the things that we've mentioned apply both to the employee and to the boss. But Paul now is taking the time to specifically address the bosses, to those who are in authority. So whether maybe you only have some authority today, or whether you're the higher up in your company, or whether maybe this is going to be you in a couple of years. Bosses treat your employees justly and fairly because you also have a lord in heaven the truth is that as those in authority you are in a position of providing and giving you have you have been given the power to do so and the truth is that this power and authority that you have was ultimately given to you by the lord So with this in mind, bosses, I want to ask, what impacts the decisions that you make? What is driving your desire to be an authority? What is driving your desire for excellency? Is it more money? Is it more success? Is it more expansion? See, these are all good things, but they should never be the ultimate thing you who are bosses in our authority, you are uniquely placed in the kingdom of God. Do not let your decisions be run by mere ambition. Instead, let your decisions be shaped by the love of your neighbor, whether it be in the new hires that you make or how you treat your employees or what direction you may want to take your company. Let everything you do be shaped by your love for your neighbor. And the truth is that this will most likely end up costing you something. It will require some form of sacrifice for yourself. But bosses, remember that you too have a Lord in heaven. And when he went up on that cross to pay for yours and my sins, it cost him everything. So as we come to the end of our time together, you'll realize that there was one thing we didn't really talk about that sometimes normally gets mentioned when talking about our faith and our vocation, and that is evangelism. See, a lot of times our theology of work and vocation gets boiled down to this. It says, you are at the work that you are, and you are at the work that God has placed you because you are to share the gospel with your unbelieving coworkers. And this is crucial and vital to our theology of work. However, our theology of work needs to be so much more than that. Our co-workers, yes, must hear the gospel and they must also see how that very same gospel impacts the way you work. Or else, what kind of hypocrites would we be preaching a gospel and then working in light of a gospel that's completely contrary to that? So whether you're beginning your work right after this service or tomorrow morning, work in light of God being our Lord and work to give him all glory and all praise. And I want to leave us this morning with this quote from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This quote has shaped the way I work and I pray it does the same for you. It reads, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, He should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, Here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of our work. We thank you that we have a just and faithful Lord, that we serve you and not man. We thank you that we have hope in the work that we can do. And Father, I pray and ask for myself and for our church, for EBF, that we would be a church that works heartily unto you in everything we do, would we work in such a way that would bring you glory, honor, and praise, that the hosts of heaven would say, wow, there's someone who is serving the Lord. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.